This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to introduce themselves and read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Hi everybody, my name is Chris, I'm an alcoholic, and this is our preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of people who share their experience, strength and hope with each other, that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Chris. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you are at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places. Prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. 
Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. Chris, welcome to the show. Would you like to introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about how, who you are, how old you are and how long you've been sober? Yes, thanks, Louise. My name's Chris. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I'm really old. I'm 70 now. But um, I, I was raised in Christchurch um, in a big family. Um, six. I was the fourth out of six children. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it, the dynamics were very interesting. Um, and I think for me the overriding factor was that I never felt like I fitted in anywhere, even though I was you know, a member of a big family. Um, and um, so tell us about, you know, so you've, so you've come from a big family. Um, do you have family yourself now, family around? Well, yes, I'm, I was married for a long time and I had three children, but unfortunately they're um, not in contact with me at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've had to deal with that and it's not necessarily easy, but I believe that I know my truth and I know that I've got to allow them to do what they need to do, mm. as my parents did with me. Mm. Mm. And um, so, Chris, can you tell us how long you've been sober? Yeah, um, I've been sober since the 15th of January 1995, which is 26 years? and a half years. Yeah, there you go, wow. So it's quite a while, That's but amazing. just one day at a time. All right, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, what, when did you start drinking and and what did it do for you? Okay. Um, my parents thought that we should be raised properly to learn how to drink nicely. <laughs> and, and, and they would give us a little, you know, a little sherry glass full of wine or something like that. And... Um, and there certainly wasn't the, the restrictions about that, you know, in, in those days. But I always glugged it down really fast and wanted more straight mm. away. And I was mm. only a kid. Yeah. And um, and I can remember my mother and probably saying, oh, just sip it, Chris. Just sip it. Oh, <laughs> what, what, what's a sip? <laughs> so, you know, I, I believe that I was an alcoholic from the get-go. But... Um, what did it do for you? How did it make you feel? Oh, it made me feel... Made me feel fabulous. Made me feel like I fitted into the world. It made me, you know, be able to have conversations and do things that I wouldn't otherwise do, um, and to oh, what did it do? I mean, how did how did it progress? And that's you know, oh, you're well. brought up in in this large family, you know, who is is trying, you know, you're trying to be taught yeah. to control drinking. Yeah. How did it progress? Well, I just realised that I wanted more, mm-hmm. and and I did everything that I could to get more. And of course, that didn't really happen until I, you know, left home and started my career, mm-hmm. and was living away from home. And then, you know, all the other students were doing what I wanted to do. So I, I was just like a, a duck to water. Rat, <laughs> absolutely rat. Yeah. And yeah. um, and so tell us, you know, what was that like? And and you know, more specifically, at any point, you know, 
did you a have some consequences or think mm-hmm. maybe this isn't normal? Tell us a bit more about that. I think I knew right from the get go that it wasn't normal, um, but I chose to ignore that. Mm-hmm. And consequences, um, I learned very very quickly not to drink in bars or drive and drink or things like that. I knew that was a bad idea, mm-hmm. and. I knew that I had to keep it a secret, oh. which I tried to do. And I remember one um, one particular time when I'd been out. I lived I was lived in the nurse's home, and we used to get invited out to the parties out at the um, ice base, the Antarctic base, with the mm-hmm. guys out there. And they had these huge bottles of liquor. <laughs> and that was just... Thank you very much. It was great. And I remember going back into the nurse's hostel and um, getting into my bed. Fortunately, I found the right room and got into the right bed and all that sort of thing, and that was fine. And, of course, I did an almighty bath, and and I, then I had to do you know hide the mm. evidence because we could only change our sheets once mm-hmm. a week or something, or the, you know, and that sort of thing. So, mm. And that was – it seems silly – but it was important because mm-hmm. I didn't want home sister to find out that I was doing that. But she found out and she gave me, you know, I got a lecture and, and this, this is not good for you and tra-la-la. Mm. So, but I just didn't want to have that, you know. I didn't want to, I didn't want to hear anything like that. Mm. I wanted to drink. Mm-hmm. I needed to drink. And I honestly believe that, you know, I drank every drink I ever had I needed. Mm-hmm. I never tried to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times when I didn't drink and that was when I was, you know, having my babies and things like that because I'm not silly, I know what happens. And, um, but I substituted mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as we do. And um, so, I don't know, I just, I, um, when I think about my life then, I thought I lurched from crisis to crisis mm. and I was always making excuses and it was always somebody else's fault mm-hmm. and I always had to have somebody to blame and I blamed the most, you know, anybody from the Bishop of Christchurch down to the, you know, the kindergarten <laughs> teachers. I, I blamed. <laughs> I blamed for the way that I felt and mm. the way that I was in the world and mm. and I couldn't, um, I couldn't see that there was anything wrong with that. Mm. And um, you, you know, you talked about um, you know being able to stop whilst you had children. However, when you went back to the drinking, you never tried to stop. Never. Didn't want to try to stop. No. no. I and, knew I needed it. And so, talk to us about your relationships with your family. Was, you know, as a result yeah. of of the the way that you drank. Yeah. Well, it was just diabolical. I think. Uh, I think I was a really bad mother. I was violent towards my children, and um, I'm still paying the price for that, mm. even though it was not what I wanted mm. as, at all as a mother. Mm-hmm. But I was powerless. I mm. couldn't help it. I mm. was just, you know, if they didn't tow the line, they got into trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, Mr. Wooden Spoon came out, and, mm-hmm. and they got whacked. And, and I'm not proud of that, and it's nothing that I would want to do today, but it was what I did back mm. then. I had no other coping skills whatsoever, mm. you know, and, and I see that now. You know, I just didn't know how to live life on life's terms, mm-hmm. how to raise a child the way that you're supposed to raise them, you know. And it's not that I didn't love them. 
but I just didn't know how to love them. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really pointed up to me in my early recovery. My oldest son was about 17, and I remember saying to my sponsor then, I don't even know what to talk to him about. Mm. And it, he's a really intelligent young man. He's artistic. He's mm. musical. You know, we, had, we could have had all these things to talk about. Mm. I didn't know what to talk mm. about because I'd always just been the director. Yeah. So let's, let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how did you find your way into into recovery and or, you know, what would you describe as your, what some people call rock bottom? Yeah. Well, as funny as it might seem, one of the first jobs I had as a registered nurse was to work at Queen Mary Hospital in Hanlon Springs. And I worked there for a whole year and I learnt a lot. But Mm. that's taught me something too because you can't learn about this disease. Mm -hmm. But anything I learnt, I did not relate to myself, Mm. whatever. And so I knew a lot about it. I knew that there were meetings and you had to stop drinking and stuff like that. And so, you know, when I was... I was about 43, I think 45, I can't remember, 40, 45. And I, um, I was seeing a counsellor because my life was so crappy. Mm-hmm. And um, for the first time ever, I told her, however it came up, I can't remember, but she told me, we, talk, we talked about my drinking, and she just looked straight at me and she said, you need to go to AA. Wow. And I thought, oh, Yeah. She's right. I need to go to AA. And so I did. And that was it. No more drinking. And tell us about, yeah, tell us about your first meeting. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the first meeting. Oh, yeah. Um, It was on a Saturday, Saturday night. And I went to this meeting. And by this time, I'd left the family and lost everything except my job almost. And um, I went into the Saturday evening meeting. And I sat in the back with my son, and I cried and cried and cried, wow. just buckets. And that carried on for a long time. I mm-hmm. cried all the time. And in fact, I didn't know that people called me Niagara. I found that <laughs> out later. It's brilliant. <laughs> I found that out later, and I, that that wasn't that wasn't an ugly thing. It was a, a loving, mm. you, know, mm, you know. Here she is, Niagara, and. Um, because I did, I just had so much to cry about, mm. and I did. I let rip, and it's not necessarily a good thing to do in an AA meeting, but whatever. I did what I did, mm. Mm. and um. And what were the people yeah. like? Were they oh, they were just wonderful. They crowded around me and gave me phone numbers, and you know, and and said, "Keep coming back, and you know, don't worry about your tears. That's okay." They would say it was just the ice melting from around your heart. Mm. Or else they would say it was liquid prayers, which mm. was okay. And, of course, in the first meeting you see, one of the first things you see is God on the wall, you know, in the serenity prayer. It's in great big Gothic script. And, <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I, I remember thinking, oh, God, not God. No, please, mm-hmm. no. I don't, I can't, I can't go back there because I'd tried all sorts of churches. Sure. I'd been sprinkled and dunked in every denomination. <laughs> and I knew it didn't work for me. But anyway, um, and I just thought, no, I can't go back to church. But after a few weeks of going to regular meetings, an old-timer said to me, you know, you don't have to go back to church, Chris. Mm. You know, this is not about religion. Mm. It's about spirituality. And I started to learn and understand that huge difference between Mm -hmm. religiosity and spirituality. Mm. And, And that's 
and the fact that you know it says in our big book that you can choose your own conception of God, no matter how, no matter what it's like. It's a bare beginning and all that stuff, and that um, and and that set me free, absolutely set me free to throw myself into the whole program of Alcoholics Anonymous and and to start to get well. So, and did that take some time? Oh yes, yeah. Well. You know, I'm no different to any other alcoholic. Mm. I don't like being told what to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I dig my heels in, even though I know that it's, I don't need to. And um, just finding it incredibly awful and unusual to hand everything over to this higher power mm. and say, you know, and, and there's a little saying that says, a message from God. It says, I'll be dealing with all your problems today, Chris, and I don't need your help. Thanks very much. Go and get on with your life. And, <laughs> I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's so, so true. And so let's talk a little bit more about some of the other aspects of AA. Um, you know, service is something we consider, you know, really important. What has service been like for you? Service, absolutely vital for me. Absolutely vital. I, um, I love service and I'm, I'm so... Happy to be able to give back, mm-hmm. and that's what it's all about. Because I can never repay AA for giving me back my life and a life worth living. And what's some mm. examples of the service you've you've had over the oh, years? How long have you got? Twenty six years sobriety. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, I've done a lot of jobs in AA, formal and informal. Mm-hmm. I I I have the after hours phone once a week. This is at the moment. Mm. Um, I I do. I you know I work with this radio show. Um, I'm a GSR, which is a general service rep for my home group. Important for me to have a home group, mm. um, you know. And, and I can. I guess I I guess this is just a really good example, though, of these are the things that have helped keep you sober. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. Um, coming back yep. and and helping that newcomer. Yep. Um, talk to us about sponsorship. What sponsor- sponsorship oh. looked like for you? Well, to me, my sponsor is not my friend, and that's something that people get a bit muddled up about. They think, oh, that, you know, she knows a lot about me, and so she must be my best friend. She's not. If I ring her, which I do reg- you know, regularly, um, my sponsor's in Australia, um, I, and I, without fail, she will direct me back to the literature. Mm. Mm. And that really helps me because I can help other people and I do help other people and I have sponsees as well. Um, And I can help them. I can take them through the steps and and when they ring me up with a problem, if it's something within my experience, at some point I can help them. But I can't fix my broken thinker with my broken thinking. Mm. And that is really important for me to know that, that my... That's what's wrong with me. I have a broken thinker, mm. you know. Um, and <laughs> every time I talk to my sponsor, I get reminded again. I mean, it's not a not malicious or anything like that. It's just she simply brings it back to one of the principles of of our program, and and you know gives me some. It, it's sort of like you're going round and around and around in, in a wheel, mm. you know, like a hamster, and she gives you a step off. Mm. And that's, that's, well, that's how it works for me, and I love it, you know. And, um, 
And, and that's proof that we don't have to do it alone. Absolutely don't have to do this alone in any way, shape or form. I, mm. you know, use the telephone a lot. Um, so much so that I've got to go and buy a new one after this. <laughs> <laughs> it's broken. Um, so, I mean, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, in times of difficulty and when things in, uh, you know, aren't always great, what are some of the things you do to, to ensure your sobriety and recovery? Right. So now that I've got a wee bit of time up, I have got, you know, a whole toolbox full of solutions that I can open up and use. And, and I sometimes see myself doing that, but I'll sit down and think about it. If it's a specific problem, I'll pray about it. Mm-hmm. I'll, um, I, I'll try and apply a particular step to it if I, mm-hmm. if I can, one of the steps. Um, and I'll talk to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just a plethora yeah, of options absolutely. in front of you, absolutely. as you say, in your toolbox. Yeah, it's a big toolbox nowadays, thank <laughs> God. Yeah. At first it wasn't. At first it was sure. really hard, and I'd be ringing my sponsor at every touch and turn. But I think one of the jobs of a sponsor is to transfer that belief in that person mm. to a belief, trust, and faith in a higher power. Mm. And that's what I've got. Mm. So I feel lucky for that. So how would you describe your life today? Oh, it's pretty pretty darn cruisy, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you feel within yourself, you know, the self-esteem, the yeah. confidence, yeah. perspective on life? I had none of that, you know. Mm. Yeah, there's one thing I don't do much these days, and that's cry in meetings, but I, I did. I had to do mm-hmm. it. They let me do it. They loved me enough to let mm. me do it. Mm. They loved me back to health. Mm. Um, so for me, I'm you know, I'm retired. I managed to... Hang on to my career. I was a registered nurse for over fifty years, mm-hmm. and um, and that's you know that's something that I am proud of because mm. I in the you know I loved it at first. I did not want to be a nurse. <laughs> it was just a way of getting out of home, mm. and you know having somewhere to live. And but I actually ended up just loving that career and being able, especially once I came into recovery, to being able to help God's mm. other kids and you know be the best person I could be. Not all. I'm not perfect, <laughs> it does, you know, honestly, I make mistakes all the time, mm. but the steps take care of that, mm. yeah, so, yeah, and, that's, and, and, that, and that's, that's, that's beautiful, that's what we ask for, and as, as people describe as a life beyond our wildest dreams. It is, it, I don't have to carry any guilt, mm. and I don't have to cross the road when I see people, you know, I can yeah. just be a people, a person in the street, a people amongst people, a, a worker mm-hmm. amongst mm. workers I was, you know, all that sort of thing and just be helpful and nice to people, mm. you know, and one of the first things I was told to do is go for a walk and smile at five people. Why would you do that? <laughs> you know, why on earth? But you see, it's taking the focus off self, self, self mm. onto other people, you mm. know, and being mm. of service. So, Chris, what yeah. would you suggest for any listeners, you know, if they think they may have a drinking problem, what are some of the questions they could ask themselves? Yeah. Well, I'd go straight to the chapter four of our big book. In the first paragraph, mm-hmm. there's two questions. If when you're drinking, you feel that you can't control the amount you take, and the other one I can't quite remember to, twi- to quote exactly because <laughs> I'm forgetful, but it's there. And I ask them those questions, mm. you know, and, and it, then it goes on to say, if that's the case, you may, may be an alcoholic and suffering from a disease which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Mm. And 
that's what I say because mm-hmm. that's what the book says to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what I do. And, and it sounds a bit highfalutin and all the rest of it, but it's real, it's genuine. It's, you know, if you can't control the amount you take or you can't control when, you know, mm-hmm. when you drink and that sort of thing, it's, it's, it's along those lines. And um, that's what I would ask them. I don't, you know, don't go into it any further than mm-hmm. that anymore. I used to, of course. But I've learned to do what the book says. Keep it simple. <laughs> Keep it simple, yeah. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Oh, it's my pleasure, yeah. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember... If you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9. 